What's up, bro? How are you, man? I'm excited to be able to hang with you again on here. Yeah, so, man. Been a minute. So, um, you know, I, I like the idea of having my podcast not be like a bunch of other podcasts where like the guest comes on and I have like, I pinpoint, pinpoint, point, like this segmented out, like how we're actually going to do the whole entire thing. But, uh, I, I just, uh, it was, it was cool because I know we, we did one once before and then we met in person. And when we met in person, you had done like a solo acoustic set or not a solo acoustic set. It was just you and, you and your your guitarist and um and you played you played this is war and before you sang it you told a story saying that everyone really wants to know what that song is about and no one and you've never told anybody is that is that is that i want to hear the backstory of all of that if you could just like sort of walk that back and unbox it along the way um yeah it's funny you know um at that the time that i recorded it it made carl cry because he was going through a breakup and he was like oh my god man that just really summed up what i was going uh going going through which is really funny to me because the song um was kind of about this um you know i i wrote it during the election process, uh, during the the uh, right before Trump was elected, and I was just kind of seeing this, like um, you know, when we kind of started to see that icky divide, where it was like, I guess you know, I I feel like when we grew up, Republicans and Democrats were like, okay, we have some like, there's some kind of different middle beliefs there, but at the end of the day, like we all want this thing to keep moving forward, so like. Okay. Um, uh, and it was just kind of frightening to me because I, I just, uh, was kind of observing the like mob mentality and groupthink that was happening and, and some of the, um, the fiery shit that was, was going on at some of Donald Trump's rallies, um, and some of the weird, like collective shit on the left. I was just like, uh, oh, um, so I was kind of internalizing it in my head and was like, man, the war we should fight is the war against any ideology that's making us do this, you know, that's making us split apart. Um, so there's like a reference to, um, you know, when the wicker wears down, you know, I was just kind of visualizing this thing as like this old chair that someone keeps repeatedly rocking. And it's like, man, if you keep rocking this son bitch, it's like, it's a matter of time before this thing breaks and you fall on your ass. Um, so it was just kind of this early, dipping my toes in the water of seeing identity politics kind of start to run wild. And it was just kind of really freaking me out. Um, so I wrote like this very emo song about it. <laughs> I, I, I love it. And the fact when you, when you said, uh, I'm, I won't tell you what it's about or, or whatever you yeah. said, you were like, I'm, I'm just not going to talk about what it's about. I'm just going to do it. Well, but I had had, I had had like four people um, mm -hmm. think it was about, four different things and as a songwriter i'm like okay well i don't want to fuck that up right, yeah. you know well, like what, yeah let it view out whatever it is to you would have been would have been the the guesses that people have had um a lot of people thought it was was like about a relationship falling apart mm -hmm. um a lot of people thought it was about addiction um yeah 
Um, those, those seemingly were the big ones was like, people thought it was about a relationship falling apart or about like a relationship with a drug falling apart or, um, yeah, which it wasn't, it was, it was, yeah, it was about kind of seeing humanity tear itself apart. When you said that, I, I started listening to the song differently and I was trying to figure out all these different ways that it could mean different things. And to me, I was, I was, I took it as like a, uh, self relationship, like love with yourself. Right. So, um, I mean, that's, funny. that's the cool shit to me as a songwriter, dude, is like, I kind of, um, you know, like when we released this last record, I, I had to do a shit ton of interviews because we had a label. So we had a publicist. So I was doing like a lot of press and I kind of, um, the only part of that process I didn't like, you know, I can sit and talk about music all day, but was like having to explain the songs. I was like, well, I fucking hate doing this because it might, because <laughs> it might ruin it for someone, you know? And it's like, I think if you're writing a good song, it's like, well, I don't want to tell you what this is about. Like, right. this could be, you could be so off base on like why I wrote it, but if it's mm-hmm. helping you like get through something, then like think that, that it is about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, it's kind of like, um, kind of like in, in pro wrestling, like kayfabe was like, oh, if, if now I peeked on the other side of the curtain and I saw which direction the story was going and I know why you told the story, uh, then maybe, maybe, maybe the business isn't, isn't the same to me. But like, if I, if I go back and go, no, that's, that's, that's how you interpret. Anyone can interpret art in any way. And that's art there. Totally. So it's, it's, it's rad, whatever meaning it means to anybody. Yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing a, a rumor when I was a kid, and who knows if it's true. Um, Mandy by Barry Manilow was written about his dog. I've heard that, yes. Yeah, which is so funny. <laughs> like, if that's true, yeah. that's so great, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think, uh, do you think there's women out there named Amanda? Like, this is about me. Dude, I think about that all the time. I've never written a song, like, explicitly about a breakup or anything. I've written, written a lot of love songs for my wife, but I would imagine being on that end of the, the thing is great. You're like, oh yeah, this dude's writing love songs about me. But I always think about like John Mayer writes these songs that I'm like, fuck dude, like, you know, the girl that he wrote that about knows it's about her, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I just, I couldn't imagine dude especially someone like as big as John Mayer, you know, right, like, right, right. Um, and then they're like, I remember he wrote this beautiful song called paper doll. That was about his very brief relationship with Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, he had shared in an interview that it was about her. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I couldn't imagine someone at that level and like hearing a song by someone that good and knowing it was about you. Like, it's just gotta be the weirdest fucking thing. Dude. Well, she's probably written written songs about everybody she's been in relationships it with. It seems like, like that's all of her jams. Is, yeah. Isn't that like what what all her jams are about? Relationships that that didn't work out. Yeah, seemingly. Well, what if she gets into a healthy relationship? She'll never have any more songs to No, sing. no, or <laughs> full career shift. Yeah, I mean that's kind of I used to so um are you familiar with the band Wookie Foot? Yeah. Okay, so Mark that whole band I'm good friends with, but Mark and I are real close. Uh-huh. And I asked him one time we were hanging out. Actually, this was last year at Shangri-La. Um, we were hanging out, just him and I. And I was like, hey, man, you do ever write a sad song or even like kind of a like all your songs are so positive and 
And he told me this story. He said, man, I went to the Hollywood Bowl and I saw Ben Harper and he had just gone through a divorce and I watched him play um, forever. I watched him play like, you know, so many of Ben Harper's songs are these just heart wrenching songs about separating from a woman. And he was like, man, I just was like staring at the big screen and I could see his face. And I was like, I'm never doing that. Cause he's like, man, imagine if one of those songs becomes a hit and then you have to sing the song about a girl that you broke up with 10 years ago, every night. That's like, a journey that you have to constantly revisit. Yes. And that was Mark's whole thing was like, mm. nah, dude, if we kind of keep it in between these lines, then I don't mm. have to relive a bunch of dark shit. I can always be like, no, forward we go. <laughs> and I thought that was, a, that was an interesting take, you know? Yeah. You ever hear about the, the, the like the, 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 the rear view mirror is only this big and the whole windshield, the front window of a car is this big. Uh -huh. Like the, the mirror is so much smaller than the front window in front of you. Or I know I'm saying that wrong, but no, I get it. Uh, yeah. I get the, I get the gist. Yeah. Yeah. We're, you know, um, I constantly say that uh, tons of us, Tons of us waste so many right nows on right nows we'll never get back. And we, we're not gonna get we're not gonna get the the closure on a lot of things that we wanted. That's why I think it's very important to just forgive those things without even somebody saying, Hey, I'm sorry. Cause it's it's like it's you don't have to carry that around with you. Yeah, I struggle, I struggle with that sometimes, man. You know, I just kind of had it at a an incident last week where someone that I've never met um, it took an opportunity for me and the boys. Um, and, you know, it was because of a, a situation that happened with a mutual person that we know that was done pretty professionally. It doesn't matter. But, you know, the way I grew up, um, you know, and I ended up in this big diatribe with my wife about it, like wrong or right, the, the culture that I grew up in was you, you really had to mind your manners and you really had to be careful what you said about somebody because they would come see you about it, you know? Um, so you, you couldn't like backdoor fuck anyone where I'm from because it would mm -hmm. get back to them and they were going to come see you, dude, and it wouldn't be nice. Mm -hmm. So um, I sometimes struggle with that, like in modern culture of like hearing that someone that I've never met has a problem with me and then them doing something that actually really affects me. Um, it takes me, I mean, it took me about 10 days to not be like, oh, dude, it's on on site when I see this dude, you know, and just be like, you know, I mean, whatever. My life is going to be long, I think, <laughs> you know, in the in the in the grand scheme of this, it doesn't really fucking matter. Like you can't win them all. If you don't like me, that sucks, but that's OK. Yeah. Um, it's like it's like, look at how many look at how many moments are in each day. We, yes. Uh, there's so many more. If one if one moment ruins an entire day, maybe 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 back up a little bit and be like, you know what? Uh, I got so many more moments that won't be filled with this uh, this unease. Yeah, and I I always try and think like one thing that does really help me in in moments like that is I'll go, will this matter in six months? Because if it won't matter in six months, it shouldn't matter right now. Like period. You know, it, yeah, I think there's things worth grieving and there's things worth really sitting with and processing. 
but those are only things that will still matter to you in six months. And if it's not going to matter in six months, then like, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm in theory, I'd like to not waste a minute on it. I often do, but I always just thought that was a good way to break that down is it's like, we're so good at making ourselves think that something is a way bigger deal than it is. Well, I mean, in our minds, the world is happening to us somehow. Yes. And, um, and, and it's our movie. It's our yeah. movie. So we see a movie, somebody gets wrong, they write it as soon as they can. Um, yep. But, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't always shake out that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big part of maturing, I think, is realizing that, uh, that life is happening. If you're doing it right, life should be happening for you, not to you. Um, and, and so many things that I thought were negative things turned into amazingly positive things that I really, you know, Trevor once said to me, um, dude, my drummer, this was years ago, but my drummer had just quit. This agency had dropped me. This was all within a week. And I remember I called Trev and I was crying and he's like, breathe, bro, breathe. And um, he said, man, you have no evidence to point to that says everything isn't going to work out, you know, like, and I come back to that all of the time. Like when I look at my life, I, I accidentally took um, a pretty reasonable amount of mushrooms this last week. Um, I keep microdosing capsules in a nondescript bottle while I'm traveling. Mm. And I thought they were what was on the label of the nondescript bottle. So I took four of these things thinking they were this like uh, tech. Um, <laughs> on it gut biome product uh -huh. right and i was like in the middle of a workout and just froze and was like oh shit i am on mushrooms right now um but i came to my office and i just had this really cool kind of like meditation on that thing i was just listening to music and was like yeah no dude my life kicks ass and it's all because i love music and i keep showing up for music and that loves me back and everything's gonna work out if i keep just being a good dude and loving music everything's probably going to be fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. That is always such a huge thing to me to come back to is that it's like, yeah, man, if, if I just am a big believer of that, I think good guys win in the end. I, um, real quick. I want to uh, rewind back. I'll cut all that part out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I, I, I uh, thank you and welcome you and say, let you know that you're fully, safe and welcome and free and now we're on the record and uh i'm i want to say how really really cool it is to to be able to have a, a relationship with you it's pretty neat to be yeah man it's uh, good to talk to you again i know we kept kind of missing each other there mm -hmm. for a while i'm kind of a busy boy yeah yeah you, you're super busy so so um talk to me about your love of country music oh man is um, that that kind of like that kind of snuck up. I was like, whoa, the whole, a whole mm -hmm. thing, a whole album on that. Yeah. So I was raised on country music. You know, it was all my mom listened to. Um, you know, my grandfather, my grandfather on April 4th is being inducted into the Cowboy Hall of Fame, which is a very, very big deal. Um, he, um, what, what does one have to do to become uh, inducted in the Cowboy Hall of Fame? Uh, I don't know if it's mandatory that you rodeoed. I would imagine so, um, but he was a saddle bronc rider um, and he did roping. Um, but from 
1953. I have his bio right here and I've been reading it because I'm going to the to the induction ceremony. Um, but from 1953 until, fuck, dude, the early 2000s, uh, he cowboyed in the Bull Mountains here in Montana. Wow. Um, and every summer as a child, we would come out here and stay on the ranch with my aunt and uncle. And, um, you know, I, I, I was just kind of a rebellious fucker by nature. So even though I thoroughly enjoy, like my first musical love was Garth Brooks, you know, and, um, and, and a bunch of the older shit, you know, I always loved Waylon. There was always something about Waylon that I just thought was so cool and fucking mysterious and badass. But, um, you know, by nature, I kind of, because my mom liked it, I kind of shunned it, you know, and I was like, no, it's, it's punk rock. It's hip hop. Like <laughs> anything, anything counterculture was my I vibe. Th I think we're the same on that one. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think like it was a, it was a guilty pleasure, secret shame in the, in the, in the privacy of my own space. Yes. But like, I, I don't care about what other people think anymore. <laughs> totally. Well, yeah. and, and what happened dude was, so I was probably one of the only artists that when our tours got canceled and COVID hit, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, like, um, you know, my son was just about to turn three um, and he was just, him and I were just really starting to bond because there's this weird period when, with, with a kid, when they're still breastfeeding, the dad is just kind of like, oh yeah, I play with you sometimes, but mom is star of the show. Mm -hmm. We had just kind of started to link up and. Um, about a week before the tour got canceled, I remember telling my wife, like, man, I really wish that I could just be home for the next couple of years during this, like, in, insanely formative period of his life. And um, so we had this huge powder day. That was when my tour got canceled was while I was fucking having one of my best days on my skis I've ever had in my life. So I was just like, yeah, man, whatever. And um but I ended up spending a lot of time doing all the shit that I used to do before music, you know, rock climbing, hiking, fishing mo so many times a week. Like I was going out on the river with my buddy Nate on his raft and fishing fucking twice a week. And um, Nate listens to a lot of um, old country, but a lot of newer shit too, you know, Turnpike Troubadours and Jason Isbell and Childers and Sturgill and, um, you know, that music really just kind of eked its way into my heart, which made me start listening to that old shit again, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you said, as an adult, I just have no shame. I was like, no, I love this music. This is great songwriting. The players on these records are fucking insane. Um, so I think it just kind of subliminally influenced my writing at the time. Um, and when I would be writing songs, I would hear pedal steel and fiddle and like that was just the shit that I was hearing in my head when I was writing this song so um when side one dummy approached me to make a record um you know I hadn't seen the boys in fuck eight nine months mm -hmm. so the initial plan was that we were gonna they wanted to fly us to LA and they had a studio in LA that we were gonna do it at and you know, given the COVID craziness, I was like, dude, why the fuck would we go to LA right now? Like, no, dude, let's, let's rent a house in the middle of nowhere out here where I live, where all these songs were written. And, um, the, it was crazy. The boys just took to it so well. I was kind of nervous. Cause I was, there was kind of this part of me that was like, 
man, I hope the boys aren't like, yeah, man, this isn't really what I signed up for. You know, like Stefan, our guitar player comes from like the gospel, hip hop, soul world. Um, so yeah, it was this really wild thing, but the boys just loved the songs. And um, all right now, uh, the thing that I always say about that record was I feel like that record was me becoming the songwriter that I was meant to be. Everything else has been practice and like part of the journey of getting me to where I'm supposed to be as a songwriter. And I just found my voice, you know, both like internally writing wise and singing, you know, I just found out who I am. Um, and that's really exciting. I think you're in a constant, a constant finding. Total. Total. Yeah. yeah. And I just, you know, it's so funny too. Um, I just had a guy reach out to me to do a hip hop verse on a project and I got so excited. I was like, Oh my God, dude, it's been, and the beat is so dope. And I was like, man, it's been so long since I've got to exercise this muscle. Like I got so excited about it. So yeah, I think, you know, like, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this. Anyone that loves music can, like you were kind of alluding to when you're young it's like when I was hanging out with my punk rock friends, I would pre pretend like I didn't like hip hop, pretend like I didn't like country. When I was with my friends that were super into hip hop, I'd be like, oh, yeah, dude, country's whack. That shit's whack, you know. And then I think as an adult, you just kind of go, oh, yeah, no, I just like what I like, man, you know, and I don't have to explain it. Yeah, there, there's a there's a, a fair weather there's like a fair weatherness to to children. I like at least I know to me when I was a kid, I don't want to speak for every single kid, but like maybe like someone will be like, hey, did you watch that movie? I'm like, yeah, enthusiastic and yeah. And then yep. be like, yeah, it sucked. I'm like, yeah, it did. Total. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, you're, totally. You're, you're totally right. It sucked. Yeah. I give up on everything I think about so that you yep. can like me more. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly very well put. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Um, and, you know, and I felt like the cool thing was, um, I think the song that had like the most country influence on that record was the title track. All right. Now, mm -hmm. um, and I told the label, I pretty much was like, look, I just want to make the record I want to make and I want to produce it. And you guys could do whatever the fuck you want with it. So what was crazy was when I sent it to them, I figured they want, would want the track with Trevor on it to be the first single or, you know, like, right. and they didn't, they said all right now, they said, I think all right now should be the first single. And I was like, oh man. So there was a bit of um, nervousness of like, when we release this out into the world, are there going to be a bunch of old Satsung fans? They go, well, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, seemingly was, was received pretty well. I mean, when we went on fall tour, a lot of people were singing it. So, oh, right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you did, you, br you brought up Garth Brooks and which is funny about that. And we'll, we'll sink it all into this circle here. Like, um, you brought up Garth Brooks and you were like, oh, that was one of my favorites. And for me, Garth Brooks was always huge, but I always identified really hard with the song Rodeo. Do you know that song? Fuck yeah. And dude. I figured you probably identify hardcore with it, meaning like because your grandfather is a cowboy. Yep. Um, I have a, I, I actually have a, um, a fair amount of friends that um, are either active actively rodeo cowboys um you know i recently became friends with this fellow named richmond champion who is top five um bareback bronc riders in the world mm -hmm. and um 
where him and I really connected is our life isn't that different. Um, you know, so I really relate to that song because so here, here, here's kind of the life of a rodeo cowboy. Um, you, there's a string of rodeos, um, kind of like a tour, if you will. So you get in your truck, like Richmond, who is at the elite of elite of the sport has a camp around the back of his truck bed. And he goes from rodeo to rodeo. He shows up at the rodeo. He rides us two times. He gets in his fucking truck and he drives to the next rodeo. And that's his gig. You know, he's on a, mm-hmm. he's on tour. Um, and it's chasing this thing, man. It's chasing this dream of, of doing the thing that sets your heart on fire, whether that's mm-hmm. fucking strapping yourself to a wild animal or playing a show. Um, but you live on the road, you know, and, um, and all the stuff that comes with it. So that rodeo song just like knocks that shit out of the park. And professional well, like, wrestling, same vibe, yeah. Wrestling, dude. there's ropes and ropes and blood and skin and mud and all yep, that. Yep, yep. The, the buckles, the pride in the buckles. We got buckles. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and I, I think there's so um, there's so much lap over in that song, man. Anyone that is given their life, uh, you know, to a craft that most people think is crazy. Um, I just love that shit, man. You know, uh, I have so many friends that are fighters and so many friends that are rodeo cowboys and so many friends that are just living very crazy lives. Um, And uh, I think that's the tie that binds us if we're we're all in constant pursuit of our why, you know, why do you wake up in the morning? The Aikige, Mm -hmm. the 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 circle that gets you going. Yep. That chart used to be like the background of my phone. I love that. But yeah, it's something I'd look at all the time and I'd have to remind myself. Now, now the background of my phone is just the, the podcast, but, <laughs> but, but uh, I guess that's kind of an Ikege. <laughs> yeah, dude. Well I, well, I think, man, that's what I'm finding more and more is that my connections with people, the people that I really seem to connect with were in that thing. You know, um, I just had Rafael Lovato Jr. on my podcast, um, who is, I believe, the most winningest grappler on the planet. Like, if you look at his Wikipedia page and the amount of titles and world championships that he has won, he's 39. And I talked to him the day before he flew to Europe and he won a European title um, two days after he won that two days ago. And um, that was kind of what our conversation was about, was it was like, you know, what is it about this circle that we've kind of created with all of these different people we know? And it's like, well, yeah, dude, it's all people that know their why and that are living their passion. And it's like, I, what I found, man, my biggest fear isn't not being successful. Um, you know, my biggest fear is getting to the end of my life and being like, fuck, man, I should have tried that. I should have pursued that. I should have seen, you know, what that was. Let, let me, let me, let me give this to you because this is something I'm also trying to start doing. Not to say that I am doing it and that I've got a master because I for sure don't. But um, I, if I, if I have moments where I'm like, oh man, I, 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 I wish I would have done this. I could have done that. I should have done, I'm, I'm all this, all this shooting all over myself. Yeah. Uh, and, and neglecting to go like, Look at this accomplishment that I've already had. Look at this accomplishment I already had. Like, if if the goal was to be my 12-year-old self looking into the future and seeing who I became, I I fucking did it. And that's that's 
that's something that's something that I think you absolutely have got that a hundred, a hundred times a hundred, like for sure. Like I, I was watching, I think, well, I think when maybe, maybe it was when, um, maybe it was when culture first came out and you guys were, you guys were touring. You, you, uh, you posted this, you posted a video of when you cut to the crowd and they were all singing the last part of I am mm -hmm. and goosebumps goose. And I can't, I couldn't even imagine being you having like sat in the room, writing that stuff down and then watching a whole crowd of people sing all along with that, with you weren't even singing. They were just singing all the words. Yeah, it's a weird thing, man. And like the coolest weird possible, you know, it's funny that you worded what you just worded that way, because I often that's my ultimate check in. You know, what would 14, 15 year old Drew have to say about adult Drew? And it's funny, some of the agreements that I made with myself as a young one that, that were mandatory. I knew I was going to be heavily tattooed. I knew that music was going to be the way motorcycle was definitely going to be, be a part of the equation. And I wanted to be good at fighting. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, that is such a driving force behind everything that I do is like, mm -hmm. yeah, what would, would teenage me that was telling all of his friends this cool version that he was going to be when he was older, like, you'll see, you know, am I, am I trying to be that dude, you know, and you know, what's actually really cool, man, was on this this fall tour that we did. We went back to Des Moines where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Show was huge. Great fucking show. But it was one of the most special nights of my life. Um, when I was 15 years old, my mom had moved to Florida. My stepdad, who was very abusive, I had agreed, not agreed, told my mom, I'm staying with him. Like, we can't just fucking leave him here. Total like Stockholm syndrome situation. Right. Mm -hmm. And it didn't last very long. And um, my friend Bobby, I, I had had like a black eye and, you know, that kind of bruising that goes from your nose to under your eye from my dad. And mm -hmm. uh, Bobby and I were hanging out smoking a joint. And he was just like, you know, man, this isn't normal. And I'm not, I can't, I can't watch it anymore, man. I can't, I, I can't. And um, I, I talked to my parents and um, I want you to come talk to my dad. So we go to his house, dude, and his mom and dad were sitting at this kitchen table and his dad stands up with his keys in his hand and said, you're coming with me. And I was like, oh shit, what's about to go down? He kept just saying, trust me, you have to trust me. And then I realized we were going to my house and I was like, no, you don't understand, dude. Like my dad is a fucking golden gloves boxer. He is the meanest Irish motherfucker you've ever met in your life. He will kill you. And we went to my house, he knocked on the door. My dad answered and he said, hey, he's coming to live with us. I already talked to his mom. So he's gonna go downstairs and get some shit and you're not gonna fuck with him. And I moved in with them. Wow. And um, I hadn't seen them since, since I had moved to Chicago. I saw him maybe a few weeks before I went to Chicago, but I was like 17, 18, you know? And they came to the show. And, um, I, um, I got to reconnect with them. And then a bunch of like my old school, like inner circle from high school was there. 
and the vibe of the night was them kind of being like, holy shit, dude. Like, you're doing the thing that you told us all you would do. Like, what the fuck? And to me, that is just like the hugest. It means more to me than anything, man. When people from my past go, you know, I reconnected with, uh, on that same tour, reconnected with an ex-girlfriend from from far ago who's, who's remarried. I'm remarried, yada, yada. We just hadn't seen each other in some time and met for coffee. Same conversation, you know, just like, holy shit, man, you're doing exactly what you said you would do. Um, and that just means so much to me, man. Um, and I think it's easy to, especially in this industry, there's so much weird bullshit that goes on. It's really easy to forget like what a fucking miracle and blessing it is to get to be in front of people that have found so much solace in your music that they know every word and want to fucking scream it at the top of their lungs with you. Right. Like it's yeah. pri- that's priceless, dude. That's worth more than fucking anything on the planet. You, you know what's I think probably very shocking to people like when they're like, wow, you're like you're really doing the thing you said you were going to do. I think the majority of people say they're going to do a lot of things and really don't. So most people inside inside of that, that celebrating where you already are and where you've been that. Yeah, that's something I, I, uh, I guess I want to uh, take take the take a second to shine a mirror on that so that you see. Yeah. And I think it's really easy too, man. Um, you know, I'm a very, um, like results driven guy. Um, so it's really easy for me to always say like, okay. Um, but what's next, you know, we should be doing better than we are. Like, um, you know, Facebook memories have been so huge for me recently. (laughs) I was, I was off Facebook for, uh, a good chunk of the COVID time. Cause I was just mm-hmm. sick of seeing everybody's take on everything. I was like, man, shut the fuck up. Like, but anyway, some of the Facebook memories that come up and just remind me where I was five years ago. Mm-hmm. And that if five years ago, you would have told me that I was going to be where I'm at right now, I would have been like, no way, you know? Um, so I try to keep that kind of ever present you know I think it's important to do to remember like how far you've come while while you're looking forward to be like yeah dude but you know kind of like you're saying it's like yeah but you're already on the path so like you know don't be staring too far down the road like you can enjoy where you're sitting a little bit you know so uh something I always do on here is uh I the funny thing is is uh, I think um since the last time we had a conversation, you started your own podcast too, which I think I probably encouraged you to start one because of how wise you are and how much uh, growth you can lend to the world. Uh, enjoying your your voice musically, but now enjoying your voice mentally, like enjoying like your uh, your philosophies on things. I thought that that would be a really cool thing for uh, you know helping the people who already know and love you. And um, I, I, I usually say, uh, this is like completely all on the record. I love the podcasting because it's all like very much on the record. So on the record, I want to give you the opportunity to ask me anything or tell me anything you want to Why, why did, um, why did you start your podcast? Cause I really honestly, dude, um, 
me starting my podcast had nothing to do with me wanting to share. Um, okay. I, I was looking around and kind of just going like, dude, I know some really cool motherfuckers, you know, like um, that for sure would, and, and because of COVID, I was like, well, I got time. But um, so for me, the podcast started is just like, man, I know some really cool people mm. and it would be cool to just talk to them for 90 minutes and see what the fuck happened. Um, and I feel like the first two were kind of weird, like, um, you know, another friend of mine who's who's been podcasting forever. You know, I sent him the first one was like, I feel like I'm talking too much. I feel like my voice sounds stupid and, you know, like super self-conscious. And then it just kind of became a normal part of my routine. Like, yeah, just about every week I have someone on the podcast. Um, so yeah, mine was more about just like kind of something to do. And then it's became a really cool source of passive income. And it's just, you know, the more people that say yes, it's easier to approach other people and be like, well, I've done episodes with this person, this person, this person. So I'm not a rando, you know, mm -hmm. right. um, but why did you start yours? Uh so I, um, I started podcasting before and I was just a co-host on not, I don't want to say just, I don't want to minimalize it, but I was a co-host of a wrestling show, like a wrestling talk show where we would just chat about current TV product of professional wrestling. And it was only one hour and there was three of us. So I, I could only talk about what we were talking about and kind of, uh, at the end of every hour, I would feel like there was so much more I wanted to say and so many more conversations I want to have with other people who aren't in wrestling and 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 really um, have it be not just not just um, segmented or not just planned out and not just um, uh, limited, limited sure. to to what we could speak about or talk about or speak about or like how long we could speak about something or anything like that. So I just wanted to kind of, kind of give not only that, but um, back then my, my, I've told the story on the podcast a million times. My, back then my mom had burnt us a CD and on the CD, she put voicemails that were left to her from her mom and her best friend who were both passed at that point. And she said to me, you know how like when somebody dies and you kind of like forget what their voice sounds like? And I was like, I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want that. Well, I've never thought about that. That's a trip. So so like I, I honestly a lot a lot of the a lot of the times I think about maybe um, when I'm not here anymore and people this being something that's helpful to the people who lost me, who can yeah. come back and hear who I actually am and call it evolving because like who I was in the very beginning in 2017 versus who I am now and who I am going to continue to evolve to be will be something that can hopefully uh, inspire somebody. Even, even if it's after I'm already gone, I'll feel like if I help one person uh, I'll feel accomplished. Yeah, that's great, dude. I've never even thought about that. It's funny. I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I just, made this this new record and then i have this other one written that we're going to do in the studio as a full band but the the one with the full band is called memento mori and i and i wrote the which is latin for remember you will die mm -hmm. and there's just kind of all these stoic themes throughout so it's it's funny because i've been i've been heavily the past couple of years you know starting with this ayahuasca experience that i had 
um, kind of sent me down this rabbit hole of really coming to grips with my mortality mm-hmm. and getting excited about that. Um, and then, uh, but I never thought like, man, after I'm gone, obviously as a musician, you think of that, like, oh, this musical thing. But um, I guess I've never thought of the podcast of like, how cool that will be for people close to me to be able to go back and listen to conversations that I had. Mm. That's so rare because there's so much, um, you know, like we were saying at the beginning of the podcast with the song, this is war with music. There's so much like, what was he really meaning? You know, where it's like in the podcast is kind of a forum of like, you know, I don't really say things I don't mean. So, you know, yeah, you can get a really good grasp on the type of person someone is by listening to a podcast of them. The, the main thing, the, what I really wanted to do, and I had started uh, probably, probably 10 years ago, was I started writing an autobiography. But I was like, um, I, I'm not anyone yet, really, like that anyone's going to like go, oh, let's read an autobiography of some indie wrestler that nobody knows, right? So I was like, what if I, what if I put a book out and I say some stuff in the book that I don't agree with now? But yeah. 10 years, 10 years from now, someone's like, hey, you said this thing and it changed. It changed me. And I, I really dislike I really dislike who I became after reading what you said here. Or I I felt really uncomfortable. And I I would rather have a, an audio platform where is if I say if I say something that maybe I'm not going to agree with later, I can talk about it later, how yeah. I don't agree with it. Yeah. And, well, I, one thing that just came to mind, right, is you said that. Um, I wouldn't think that way of, of an autobiography of like, well, well, no one would care about an indie wrestler. One of my favorite books that I've ever read is this book called the cauliflower Chronicles. It's about this fucking random dude that goes through a breakup in college and goes to Hawaii to do, um, you know, a year abroad and decides I'm going to get good at jujitsu and goes to, uh, to the Academy that BJ Penn trained at. And gets his fucking ass kicked for nine months and then gets his blue belt at the very end and then comes back home to, I believe he's actually from uh, Pennsylvania and comes home and competes in a tournament. And it's like, he's a fucking no name guy. This is just some random dude, but he wrote this book kind of about that adventure. And, um, you know, usually when I'm reading something, it's, it's history. You know, I'm a big history geek. Mm-hmm. I read that fucking book in two settings, man. I just became so enthralled with this kid's story of just like, oh man, I remember that. You know, I remember being that white belt where you're just getting your shit pushed in every day and you're just like, <laughs> fuck man, is this ever going to get easier? Um, and, you know, getting staph infections and all the shit that comes with jujitsu. Um, Ringworm. Yeah. And it, but it's just one of those funny things where it's like, you know, I'm sure that dude was like, who the fuck is going to read this book about me going to Hawaii and, training for a year and getting a blue belt, you know? And it's like me, it was actually one of my favorite books I've ever written or read. I think, I think that part of it was, I was, I was telling stories very specific to people that nobody would know Yeah, or, uh, and, and not really, I don't have the, I didn't have the faculty to, um, to include descriptors of these people to people who had never heard of them. So I just was, it was kind of like I was just writing down thoughts in what in what order looks like a autobiography. But yeah, you know, who's to say that I won't go back to it? Yeah. 
Yeah, lots of time probably. But, if everything if everything goes right, you probably got time. Yeah, what what one of these days I'll go back to it. I just know that I started it out. I said uh, I was born on December first, which is my mom's birthday. My mom's twenty fourth birthday. I was born on my mom's twenty four twenty fourth birthday, in the same city, in the same hospital, in the same by the same doctor, in the same room. Okay, I don't know about the room part. But I know all that other stuff is true. Yeah. It sounds better to say. Same yeah, that's a trip. That's a hell of an opening, opening, <laughs> right. opening little shot there. Yeah. That, uh, so it it's I thought it was light enough that I could like uh, you could see how I'm a silly goose where I'm like, I don't know for sure about the. the yeah, thing. no, that's a great opening. I'm interested. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, it's so weird. You know, our stories, you know, Michael Franti said to me one time when we were touring together, I had, I had, I think I was talking to him about, you know, I was a huge Franti fan during the like yell fire, um, rebel radio days where all his music was super political. You know, he was like a rage against the machine with reggae and folk mixed in. And I just, mm -hmm. I love that, um, that era. And I kind of asked, you know, like, well, what, what changed? Cause your music kind of shifted into this like super positive kind of universal thing. So like what happened? And he said two things that hit me really hard. And he said, you know, I kind of got to a point where I was selling 500 to a thousand tickets every night. But when I would play those songs, I felt like I was preaching to the choir. Those people were all in the room because they agreed with me, you know? Mm -hmm. They agreed with my politics. They agreed with my shit. I was getting no swing vote. You know, everybody in there was on the same page as me. And then he said, you know, from traveling so much, he's been all over the world. He said, I've never met somebody that if you sit down and heard their whole story, it wouldn't make you cry. And that really blew me away. Um, I think that is kind of the driving force behind like talk shows, right? Is it's like, here's this everyday person going through this outrageous thing, you know, we're going to shine a fucking light on it and over dramatize it. But, you know, it's true, man. I've, I've, I've met, um, I've just met so many people that have the most heart wrenching stories that are just everyday folks, man, that aren't famous that aren't, you know what I mean? And, um, to me, that's why, uh, like platforms like podcasts are so cool and important is because it's like, man, you know, there is, um, I come back to TJ Dillashaw a lot. You know, he's one of my favorite fighters. And when I had him on the podcast, I had heard um, from more than a few people that he was kind of a dick. Okay. So I was kind of expecting this standoffish. Yeah, dude, I'm the fucking, the best bantamweight fighter of all time. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a waste of my time, yada, fucking yada. And he wasn't that way at all. Um, and I kind of allude to it in the podcast of like, yeah, you know, so you kind of have this reputation and he goes, yeah, man, when I'm at the gym, I'm at work. So like, I don't, I don't fuck around at work. Okay. You know, I'm not there to play. I'm not there to like, after I'm a fucking, you know, I'll joke around, I'll fucking whip towels. And, <laughs> but, but I'm not, when I'm at work, I'm at work. Um, and he ended up being one of my favorite podcasts that I've done because we hit it off so much. He was such a sweetheart. So it's, um, it's also to say, I think there's just like a lot of public perception of, of people that just is completely unfounded. And when you have a long form conversation with someone, you can really see somebody's heart. 
Have you spoken on the record about your ayahuasca experiences? Not really. No. no. Um, Would you unbox that a little bit for me? And yeah. I, I have kind of a little bit of a confession to make after. Yeah. Sure you do. Um, so I had for about three years, I kind of felt like ayahuasca was circling me. Um, mm-hmm. I was being invited very regularly to come sit. At one point, I had fucking paid a deposit uh, to go to a ceremony and something just felt weird about it last second. So I, I, I hit, hit the dude up and said, you know what, you can keep my deposit, but I'm not coming. Um, and, um, you know, I had a series of very serendipitous events where I was invited to a circle. So I was invited by my friend Dell. And then um, weeks later, I was in Texas and I went to the Adaptive Training Foundation, which is the most amazing organization in the world. They take people, you know, that have been told by doctors, you'll never walk again, you'll never do this again, you'll never do this again. And, you know, I met a dude that was told he'd never walk again that was uh, training for his 13th marathon. Um, So I got invited to come to this place because they're like, hey, we play your music all the time. It'd be really cool for some of the guys to meet you. Um, So I came and did a workout there. And then I went out to eat with one of the programming guys after, and we were just hitting it off. And then I found out that he was going to be at the ceremony that I had agreed to go to. Mm-hmm. I'm in fucking Texas. And I just was kind of those like, what the fuck? Like small, for real, small, small world, super small world. Yeah. So then I go from Dallas to Austin. Um, and I find out that my friend Rashad, Rashad Evans is going to be there. Uh, it, so it was this weird thing where everything kept kind of happening. And it was like, yeah, there's no backing out of this one. You have to go. Um, so, you know, I did two ceremonies that weekend. Um, the first one, um, I don't want to say rough. It was, uh, it was intense. Um, I went in so humble, like, you know, I remember no, like kind of expecting to get my ass kicked. Um, so like when it was my turn to drink, I like crawled up on my hands and knees, very like, okay, you know, please be nice. Um, you know, the long and short of night one was that that um, that that music was really it, um, and they were kind of guiding me through this this uh, this ethereal place and showing me how special my life was. And you know, the at one point, it's so weird because it's not like a voice; it's like the voice in your head. You know, it's this like knowing. The voice was every single person that we send here, we give a thing, we give them a thing, but most people never find their thing, you know, and you found your thing really young. So that's why this is so hard for you. Um, You found the thing you were supposed to find way earlier than most people find the thing that we put here, put them here to find. Um, So, so this is your journey and it's not um, actually about you. It's about you fulfilling um, this dharma, if you will, like this spiritual quest for you in this life is you pursuing music at all costs. That's the thing we've given you. And that's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, And it's not about you. Um, It's about completing this thing. Um, And then I had a whole thing about my wife of just being like, yep, she really is the one. So that felt good because I feel like ayahuasca can send people in either direction of being like, wow, I got to get out of this relationship. And for me, it was very much the opposite. 
Um, yeah. And then night two was weird because right when I drank, it was like five minutes after I drank um, that it started kicking in, which I wasn't ready for. Quick, huh? Yeah, really quick. And then um, I hadn't felt any of the body stuff, but I was hallucinating very heavily. So I was very much me in my body feeling no... Um, no effects other than hallucinating. So it was very hard. Um, like on this ceiling, we had started a little earlier that night. So the sun was setting. So there's still light. And these animals were kind of forming and they'd come down by my face and I'd try to like shake it off and be like, nope, this is a hallucination. And then at one point they came down and there was like four of them kind of surrounding me and they were all like kind of chuckling at me, like laughing at me, like, look at him. He's fighting this thing. Like he thinks that we can't take him. And I was just like, oh shit. And then boom, full slingshot, like went from fully being myself, just kind of observing these hallucinations to down the rabbit hole. Mm. It was super fast, but I, I think because I had the thing before I was already very much in surrender. You know, night one, I had this very like fetal position thing where I was like, please stop, please stop. You're going to kill me. And then the moment I was like, all right, fuck it, just kill me. Everything got great. Mm -hmm. So night two, I was very much like, yep, I'm not fighting this. Like, show me whatever you want to show me. And what was really powerful, man, was I had found out that we were playing Red Rocks like a week before this ceremony. And I, um, I had a moment at the tail end of the peak, uh, for lack of a better term, where I was kind of like picturing Red Rocks and picturing playing in front of people again. And I kind of was like, oh man, I actually don't know if I want that. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to go back on the road. I don't know if I'm ready to do this thing again. And what bro, that? I don't know. But when I thought that thought, it got so fucking dark and demented and fucked up. And this like roar was like, we've already been over this dude. Like we went over this shit last night. Like right. we gave this I, to you. Yes. Dude. And then I was like, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And the minute I was like, okay, I'll do it. Everything got really beautiful and calm again. And I, at that moment, I felt very released from the grasp of it. I kind of came back in my body and was able to sit up and was like, wow, okay. So I guess music, you know, like, um, <laughs> um, so it was really, for me, it was really affirming. There wasn't any, um, ahas that I didn't know. It was very affirming and, and kind of understanding like my role with making music is, is, is far beyond, um, getting likes or streams or money, um, that it's this pursuit. It's my spiritual path. It's this thing that was laid out for me before I got here. Um, so I'm at the mercy of that. Dude, the, it, it feels like, it feels like your, 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 music and what's in it and your words are stuff that would be sung at a ceremony like that, yeah yeah that i've heard songs i don't you know i might have even heard some of your songs played at ceremony before so it's 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 funny to think that um you <laughs> you didn't even know you belonged there but other people other people had you belonging there before you ever did yeah, you know what's funny, dude, on that tip of, A, I've had a lot of people tell me like, hey, dude, I heard your song on the last night of ceremony, you know, the, the maestro played it for us and it did X, Y, Z to me. 
what was crazy to me, I've always loved Trevor Hall is one of my best buds, dude. I fucking love him dearly. And I love his music. But I remember sending him a voice text on my drive home was like, yo, bro, I know you don't really fuck with psychedelics. I know you've never drank ayahuasca, but you're that shit, homie. You were on that shit. Like mm. your music is that shit. Like, yeah. and, 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 and I guess really what it is, is Trev is so deep in his spiritual practice. You know, he is a, a Neem Curly Baba devotee, like a real one. Okay. Wow. Um, so he's pulling from that ethereal. And I remember just sending him this voice text of like, A plus homie, you are actually pulling from the other side. What you were creating is that thing. You are creating actual spiritual music because I just went over there and uh, yeah, dude, that's you, <laughs> you know? So what's, what's what I said was the confession part was the last time you and I spoke on a podcast, uh, it I brought it up to you and I said, um, let me know when you're going to be coming to Philadelphia again. And you know, I'll, I'll see about, I'll see about my circle and we'll see about doing something. And I thought that maybe because like, we, because we were getting busy too. I was like, Oh, maybe I just made it weird. Like, no. And, and like I beat myself up over it and I didn't, oh, no. listen back, I didn't listen back to that episode. And I was like, Oh man, I made it weird and it's it's awkward now. No. Like, isn't it oh, funny how we do that though? Core, like, core is trying to get me to do drugs with them. Yeah. No, isn't it funny how we do that though? Yeah. I have I have yeah. so many of those. I actually saw a really funny meme the other day that said, I'm not gonna think about this anymore. And then it's like this Asian dude sitting in a slide and it's like me for the rest of the day. You know, it's so funny how we'll have like these little interactions and we think they're one thing, and the other mm -hmm. person was like, Oh yeah, no, I actually didn't think anything of that. Yeah, no, I honestly don't even recall that. And 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 at that time, dude, um, I had so many people offering it to me and it just felt, I don't know. Like I just knew that the perfect time would come when it would come. And, um, you know, when I just agreed to do it right before I went down to Texas, like I said, and I did Aubrey Marcus's podcast and, um, Aubrey and I talked in, in depth about, you know, what I might be in store for. And he was just saying like, honestly, man, I think this is going to be really favorable for you because people that have said no before and then say yes, because it feels right. Like in my experience, I think you're setting yourself up for a win here because where it seems to go bad is where someone's like, I don't care. I just want to experience this thing. So I'm not really concerned with who's going to be there or what the vibe is like, you know, I just want to try this medicine. Whereas it's like, you know, when you're putting a lot of thought into who you're doing it with and like what, what the energy in the room is going to be, mm -hmm. um, you know, set and setting is definitely important. Yeah. The, the, I think the misconception is that it's like some drug experience. This is, this is, this is self-work. This is mm -hmm. hard road stuff. And we're really, really uh, uh, unboxing what made us become who we are and kind of like really want, want to make sure that want to make sure that I learn lessons that I should learn. Yeah. And I, you know, I remember texting my buddy, Peter on the way down. I said, yeah, man, I'm, I'm pretty nervous. He said, yeah, you should be like, you know, you're not a kid anymore. This isn't fun and games. Like, you know, you're going to work. Like right. um, I think, I think for any of us that are seekers, that are adults using psychedelics for that purpose. It's like you're not doing it for a good time. You know, you're doing it to get to the bottom of it. Um, 
and it, although it's a bottomless thing, it's like, that's why I feel like when you meet other people that have sat in ceremony or have that um, relationship with, with plant medicine, that it's like, there's an immediate connection there because it's like, oh, we're both kind of working on the same thing. We're both kind of trying to chip away at what it is that we are. Um, where I think the vast amount of people haven't, you know, I've been reflecting a lot on my relationship with Hunter S. Thompson. I found him very young and I found psychedelics very young. And, and I had this very pivotal moment that I've been revisiting a lot recently. I remember being uh, not yelled at, but very firmly spoke to by my principal in high school about, you know, you need to get serious. And, uh, you know, I, you say you're going to be an artist, but, you know, the odds that that will work is this, that, and the fucking third, and you need to have a plan B. And I remember sitting there going, motherfucker, your whole life's been a plan B. You know, you don't even know what a plan A is. You've never even eaten LSD. And you're sitting here lecturing me um, about my thinking. You've never read Hunter Thompson. You've never read Aldous Huxley. You've never read um, Graham Hancock. And you're sitting here with the audacity to lecture me on how I think, you know, and I, and it was the first time that the walls of like perceived authority kind of crumbled where I was like, oh, wait a minute, this authoritative relationship only works if I agree to it. And I don't agree to it. You actually, um, I don't have enough respect for you for you to be an authority in my life. Um, so I understand that there's this hierarchy within the school of students, teacher, administration, principal, and that you're at the top of that pyramid, but uh, I, I don't consent. This, this pyramid means nothing to me. Um, so <laughs> the things that you're saying right now, uh, you might as well be fucking Charlie Brown speaking at me because I don't really care to hear anything you have to say. Write it down, put it on a paper airplane, throw it out the window. Same yeah. Thing. Yeah. And, and then I, you know, on the other hand, I remember, you know, having conversations with my art teacher, Mr. Weiss, who, who's on the intro to culture. That's him. He was, Oh, cool. He was, uh, God, every time I talk to think about him, I even get choked up. He was, um, he was so pivotal for me. Um, I was raised, um, so brutally and so harshly, um, and our, our father applauded um, violence and athletic performance. Um, and, and when I was painting and, and playing guitar, I was a faggot. And, um, you know, Mr. Weiss was a big solace for me. Um, and I spent a lot of time in his room. And um, he spoke so much life into me when I was young. And I, and the moment that I can trace everything back to with me making the agreement that art was my way. Um, he had caught me stealing paints mm. from the art room and he started yelling at me and Mr. Weiss didn't yell. And he was yelling at me for stealing. And as he was pulling the things out of my bag, he said, why would you steal paints? And I said, cause I have to paint. And he just kind of stopped and he goes, man, I think you're a real artist, man. I think, um, I, I don't think that this route is for you. I don't think the school thing is for you. I don't think a normal job will suffice for you. I think if you are willing to steal paint and your only answer to me is I have to paint, I think you're an artist. 
and he was saying it in a very kind of lecturing way. He wasn't giving me permission. He wasn't patting me on the back for stealing paint. But in my heart, that was what I heard. That was what I heard him doing was, was saying, okay, man, well, I guess you're an artist then. And um, from that moment forward, I just, I took that and I wore it as a badge of courage. I said, Mr. Mr. Weiss said, I'm a fucking artist and he is the realest artist on the planet. Um, and we kept in, in loose touch. And when I found out that he passed, um, I got to talk to him about a week before he passed. He, it was one of those freak things where he was having stomach cramps and went to the doctor and found out he had stage four cancer. Oh, man. And so it was a very quick, very quick decline. And I didn't have the money to get to Des Moines to see him. And uh, we talked on the phone and um, he just shared with me that he thought about me all the time. And I told him I thought about him all the time. And um, when he passed, I just started scouring the internet for anything I could find um, of him. And I found these interviews with him from a week after 9-11. And um, the part that I took and put in culture in that intro was him um did you name the album after him after him using that word in the in that interview yeah man that interview was what kind of sparked the whole thing for me that whole process of writing that record um was just this relating so much to what he was saying and, and how much of that thinking that he instilled in me whether he did it on purpose or not um and that day in the art room um, relating to that in me I think he saw that in me of like no dude I just have to fucking create like if I'm not creating something this whole thing doesn't make sense to me and him seeing that in me you know and 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 that being the basis for our connection you know and I remember I dude I uh after I moved to Chicago I came back to visit Des Moines about two years later and him and I went out for coffee, man. And I was so strung out. I looked like I had to just look like absolute refried dog shit. But we went out to coffee, you know, and he asked, you know, are you writing? Right. No, not really. Are you painting? No, not really. Um, and that was really our, our last heart to heart was, was us sitting there and him saying like, dude, if you don't feed this thing, it won't feed you back. You know, if you're not feeding this creative beast that is you, um, you will get nothing. You know, you're, you're this thing and you're, you're running away from being this thing, but we both know you're this thing, be this thing. Um, so yeah, man, I spent just hours and hours listening to, there's like this 15 minutes of interview clips of his, and I just listened to it over and over. And, and like we were talking about earlier, man, just hearing his voice mm -hmm. and the way he talked and the way he delivered words was, um, it, it just blew me away. You know, the other great lesson that I learned from him is so many kids at my big ass, you know, I went to a charter school. So my neighborhood was, was like 40 60 black to white or white to black um a lot of section eight housing and then right adjacent to us was this big housing project that housed all of the bosnian refugees so bus 23 and 24 were charter buses that took us to this school of very privileged white kids they got escalades for their 16th birthday and shit you know and um but i remember um 
people that I would hang out with would all say, Mr. Weiss is so fucking weird, dude. That guy's a fucking weirdo. And I remember being like, what? Like, <laughs> you're a fucking weirdo, dude. Like, if you don't see the genius in this fucking man, like, you know, it was really kind of what, I guess what I'm saying is that it was really the first kind of thing that started making me look around and being like, oh, fuck, I'm a weirdo. I'm on, I'm on this team. I'm not the, on the, the, yeah. the, the mindset of the, my, of the majority isn't the same yes. as mine. Yes. Uh -huh. And, and, you know, and Hunter S Thompson really drove that home for me too. Um, I, I made an Instagram post the other day, 17 years ago, um, two days ago, 17 years ago, he died, you know, and I was in high school when he died and I was so enthralled with him and not just his literature, man, but, um, him as a framework, he was the most unhinged, weird, out there motherfucker on the planet, and he did it successfully. And, and that was inspiring to me is that like, no, dude, if you go 10 toes down in your weirdness, in your eccentricities, like mm -hmm. you can make it work. You just can't bend. You can't tap. You just have to be you. Um, Do you remember that song? Remember that song I sent you? Um, the, it was like this like woman country singer. I forget now who it was. Um, maybe Tanya Tucker, the the uh, strong enough to bend. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you just made me think of that right away. Yeah, man. I think that that for me is my only goal with music, man. Is is mm -hmm. to speak that same life that was spoken to me to other people, man. That there's no fucking rules to this thing, you know, and that you can be whatever you want to be. And, well, and that what, leaning into passion is the way, you know? It for sure is, yes. So uh, just a couple quick things, uh, just a couple more things, and then I'll send you off to the sunset, hot dog and a handshake. All right. All right. So there's a segment I always do towards the end of the show. Uh, I call it audio time travel, which this, this will make even more sense now considering uh, the conversations we just had. Um, I say, say somebody who truly just loves the hell out of you, maybe your wife, maybe your kids stumble across this audio and really, and really uh, right now is your chance. The, the, this version of you now, the two twenty two twenty two version, <laughs> the two twenty two twenty two version of you is speaking directly to the 2042 version of your, uh, of your son, of your your wife of your other kids i mean for sure uh it could be just even fans who care very much about you listening back and going like i really want to go and find uh find words from from drew what what message would you give those people so right now audio time travel you're speaking directly to that version what yep. what message are you giving um don't put don't put any emphasis on being understood outside of yourself. I've spent a lot of time as of recent getting quite worked up on the opinion of others on me. Um, and at the end of the day, I know who I am. I know that my heart is good. I know that my vision is clear. Um, and that the only person you should be seeking approval from is that deep, deep place in your heart that knows whether you're trying your best and doing a good job or not. Um, I've been, 
that's my work right now. And that's something that I, um, that I hope everybody is pondering. We live in such a world and in 20 years, God, I can only imagine where we're going to be with fucking external validation <laughs> and the, and the merit that that might bring. Um, I, I see our culture edging towards uh, a lot of external validation. And I would encourage everyone, including myself right here on 22222, to seek validation from that deep knowing within yourself and from nowhere external. As I think that's my current work also. Uh, my current work also. It, speaking to the uh, 2042, whoever's listening, <laughs> whoever's listening in the future, uh, to 22242, um, <laughs> My my work a lot has been uh, being careful about what I beat myself up over, what I what I decide to not beat myself up over, because I I I, I that doesn't, that's not been serving me in any way to continuously beat myself up over something like like we just we just uncovered one here tonight right today was me saying like I had a lot of issues over thinking like I made it weird and maybe you didn't like me anymore. Yeah, no, I didn't get any of that. I enjoyed our talk. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with everything, it's like, oh, man, I, I just uh, may, maybe a little bit. Maybe I'm too intense for some people, but like that's that's them. That's a them problem. Yep. And, and well, man, the, the thing that's hard is it feels really good to be understood. You know, like, um, you know, I when you release a song and it does well, you're like, oh, my God, they get it. Um, and culture is a great example of that, dude. I spent 35 K of my own money to make that record and mm -hmm. it really didn't perform, you know, no one really listens to it. Um, but it was for me, it was, a, it was a really meaningful piece of art to me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I just saw this really cool clip. It's like, fuck Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks, uh, Jamie Foxx, Shia LaBeouf, just like a bunch of really cool actors sitting at a table and, and the question going around the table was like, if you could give advice to an actor, what would it be? And Tom Hanks says, this too shall pass. The moment when, uh, you know, when you don't feel like anybody gets you uh, and, and things just aren't lining up for you and everything's kind of going to shit, this too shall pass. When everybody's understanding you and the accolades are coming and you feel super understood in your work and everything seems amazing, this too shall pass, you know, and like realizing that both ends of that spectrum and everywhere in between are all part of the fucking story. You know, there's going to be days where you're second guessing everything you're saying and doing. That's that day. There's going to be a day where everything's lining up and you're knocking every fucking pitch out of the park. Uh, and that's just another day because that ain't going to last either. Um, and I think leaning into that that simple sentence of this too shall pass, whether it's the greatest feeling or the shittiest one, mm -hmm. you know, I think we can all point to days where we felt like we were on fire and days where we felt like we were king of the fucking world. And uh, here we are. <laughs> just, this moment is just as fleeting as the one right before it and the one right after it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Dude, I um, want to make sure I say on, on the record uh, how grateful I am that you've paid me the currency of your effort and your time. And dude, you're on the record, wanna say how, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like really, honestly, your, your music has, has really been important in my life. That's and great, man, thank there's you. There's been some important, important moments where I've heard 
some of your songs and I've been like, all right, I got to I got to get myself. I, I'll I'll turn my whole self around. I'll do the hokey pokey and I'll I'll get I'll get a little bit better. <laughs> so I want to I want to give you I want to take the opportunity to tell you how grateful I am. Not only that, that's a, that's the case, how grateful I am for the coolness that that like we can have a relationship with each other now. And like I can know you on a personal basis is pretty neat. And I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to coming to see you in Asbury Park next month. And I'm going to bring my girlfriend and it's going to be really exciting. And that was cool. it was really important. Um, me introducing her to you on our first conversation we ever had. Me introducing her to your music got me mega brownie points. I love so. it. <laughs> Doing God's work, man. I love it. So, so thank you for that. You're so welcome, man. I, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you being yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Now, the, the way we wrap up every episode is hypothetically, I've gifted you this show, right? So this from now, now on is evolving with Drew McManus. Uh, your first episode, your pilot episode in a very Jerry Springer's final thought type of way, you wrap it all up get the, the, the important morsels and the lessons. And then, you know, how can, how, can one, how can one be inspired to be a better evolved version of themselves tomorrow as they are today? Um, I think, like I said, you know, is, is shying away from external validation and, and diving deep into to your cave of knowing. And, and if that version that sits inside that cave approves of what you're doing is probably the right thing. Um, what I would what I would say, you know, where all of my thoughts really come from is is this grappling with my mortality and not even grappling, submitting, submitting to my mortality and knowing all I am doing right now is making a movie. And I want it to be the coolest movie possible. And I want the main character to be a Joseph Campbell ass dude, not a, you know, not a uh <laughs> not a character on the office you know I want it to be a hero and and I would encourage everyone that's such a helpful exercise for me is to think what if your life was a movie what would the main character do that would make you stoked to watch that movie and do that um and uh I know that seems drastic but the amount of people that I've met in my life that have said yeah man I quit my job I bought a fucking motorcycle here I am you know um I would encourage people to live like this is their only life because to my knowing it very likely is. Uh, I think I, I uh, pretty often say, which I, I think you, you probably do this too. I always say, I, I want to live the type of life where if I wasn't me, I'd wish I was. Yeah. And, and I'm doing that. And I see you're doing that too. Yeah. I don't know if, if you've ever used those words, but for, feel free. Feel yeah, free no, to I like apply that. that if it works. Yeah, it kind of relates to what we were saying earlier. You know, if you can check in with that 16 year old version of yourself and he's right. fucking stoked, then you're probably doing it right. right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. But like, uh, man, a lot, a lot of times I think I've responded to things where people were like, oh, man, like, oh, uh, like, oh, I, I miss you. Uh, I miss, and I'm like, like people who've hurt me or I pushed out of my life, say like telling me they miss me and they wish I was around. I'm like, yeah, if I were you, I'd miss me too. I'd wish I was around too. 
Like I made life easier for you. Sure, I I for sure would be saying that exact same thing. But uh, I don't I don't miss how uh, how you weren't you weren't essential to my growth. Total, total. Do yeah. you do do you do any impressions? Um. No, no, no. not that I can think of. Uh, every once in a while, at sound check, I'll throw out a like a Dave Matthews impression. Okay. That's in, your, about it. in your best Dave Matthews, uh, could you say what we say to wrap up the show? We say, be fun, have safe, keep evolving. Be fun, have safe, keep evolving. Be fun, have safe, keep evolving. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, uh, if this is your first time checking out the show, check out all the other ones. Thanks so much for paying us with the currency of your effort and your attention. I love you. Be fun. Have safe. Keep evolving.